Good morning. Good morning. Well, it's a new day. Actually, it's a new season here at this church. And um, you need to start bringing your Bibles. Because I'm not going to promise I'm going to have the words up every week. Um, sometimes I get these messages on Saturdays, and there's really not a lot of time, right. you know, to put stuff together. So I, it's not that I'll never have it, but I'm not, you can't rely on me having it anymore. Um, it's just kind of how, how things happen. Um, Sally and I spent <coughs> last week in a wonderful place. We were uh, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania at the Voice of the Apostles Conference. And um, the lineup of speakers at that was unbelievable, um, each one with uh, a terrific message uh, that actually all kind of fit together in the end. So the message that I'm going to give you today, I'm stealing directly from Bill Johnson. <laughs> but I've always heard that as long as you give attribution, that's okay. It's okay. So know that there's probably, I don't know, 5 to 10% of Jeff and 90% of Bill in this message. Um, but it so impressed me, and I thought it was so good, and I really thought it was something this church needed to hear, uh, which is one reason why um, I wanted to do it. So like I said, you need to start bringing these if you want to follow along. Amen. Wouldn't be a bad thing to bring them regardless. So the text we're going to look at today is from 1 Samuel. And it's chapter 14, and it's an interesting story. And I'm going to read through the whole thing, but we're actually only going to really talk about a certain part. There's a couple of parts of this that aren't necessarily germane to the story. So um, we'll, we'll read the whole thing. It's actually going to run from verse 1 down to about verse 23. All right? And I'm reading from the ESV. So. 1 Samuel 14, uh, verse, verse 1 through about verse 23. Yeah. 1 Samuel 13. 14. 14. Okay. Okay. All right, here we go. One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Minyan, Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side, and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sina. The one crag rose on the north in front of um, Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor-bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. 
If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has given them into our hand and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come on up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer, killed them after him. And that first strike with Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length in an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked and it became a very great panic. And the watchmen of Saul in Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who has gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now, while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow, and there was very great confusion. Now the Hebrews had been with the Philistines. Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time, and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites, who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim, heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth-Avon. Okay. Pretty interesting story. So, first of all, we have Jonathan and this young guy who was his armor bearer. And they, um, they decide that they're going to go over to this Philistines. And they say, let's go over to where those, the uncircumcised are. And uncircumcised in this sense means physically, but it also is essentially saying that these were people who were not of the covenant of God. Right. right? So that's really what they mean here. It's less of a physical description than it is a spiritual description. And so... Um, Jonathan says, let's go, and his armor bearer says, sure, I'm, I'm with you, man. And off they go um, to do battle, essentially. So let's stop and look at this for a second. Who do we have that's mounting this attack? Is it a division? No. A brigade? No. No. Um, a regiment? No. no. Battalion? No. Company? No. no. Platoon? No. no. Squad? No. Section? 
No. We have one trained soldier and one boy who carries the trained soldier's stuff. Think about the armor bearer as kind of like the equipment manager at the Y. He's the guy who hands out the basketballs, right? And, you know, we don't really know exactly how old Jonathan is here. Obviously, he was old enough to serve. So this young man is probably barely a teenager. I mean, he's got to be old enough to be strong enough to carry this stuff, but he's not old enough to be in the Army. So this is the armed force that is going to take on a garrison of the Philistines. Okay? So just kind of keep that in mind. And then, um, so we move on to verse 8 where it says, you know, Jonathan said, Behold, we'll cross over to the men, we'll show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we'll stand still. If they say, come on up, then we're going to go up to them, which means the Lord has given them to us. Now, there are a lot of really excellent battle plans in Scripture. Um, in fact, one occurs several chapters before this in what was pretty much Saul's very first defense of Israel, where um, the Ammonites were attacking a town called Jabesh Gilead, all right? And so they came up with this plan, it was executed, and it was a huge success, all right? So there are other battle plans like that in Scripture. This isn't one of them. In fact, you could say that this might be the dumbest battle plan in the history of battle plans unless... God is in it. Exactly. Unless God is in it. And that changes everything. And then I'm thinking, well, okay, so he, he comes up with this idea of um, that they're going to go, and basically what they're going to do is they're going to go out into the opening, you know, between the two crags, and they're going to be like, here we are. Hello, <laughs> Philistines. All right, and so at that point, if the Philistines, you know, say, come on up, then that's their sign. All right, let's think about that for a second. Personally, I'm going to need a better sign <laughs> if this were me. Just saying, I think I would want a little more substance to my sign. I would want to hear the voice of the Lord. I'd maybe see an angel or two, uh, get a scroll that says, this is what I beseech you to do, something along those lines. Um, so this is really not much of a sign. It sort of reminds me of a story. Uh, how many of you are familiar with an evangelist and a, a guy who started a lot of orphanages named George Mueller? Okay, you've heard of George Mueller before. Stories about George Mueller are uh, numerous because this was a man who over the course of his life raised something like $10 million to fund and keep running these orphanages, yet he never asked anyone for a cent. Yeah. He never asked for money. It just showed up. 
And so one of the stories that I've heard uh, people tell of him was there was one particular time when he was, uh, he was praying and he got this vision of this big, beautiful orphanage that he was supposed to buy or supposed to build. And so he's walking out of his home, going somewhere, and he sees a penny on the street. And so he reaches down and he picks up the penny and he says, this is the sign. This is the sign that God is going to do the vision. Well, I'd have been a little happier with like a check for $100,000. That would have been a really good sign, um, you know, as things go. But yet, he was confident enough in what he had seen that a penny worked for him, just as Jonathan is satisfied that, you know, if they invite us to come up, then, hey, it must be God. Seem to forget that, you know, the idea that, you know, if you're talking about battle plans and what works, the high ground is really where you want to be, right? I mean, that's the strategic advantage is to be on the high ground. And so, um, yet he says, if they invite us to come up, that's going to be our sign. So they they invite him to come up, and um, so Jonathan says, all right, follow me. So now what do they do? They crawl. You talk about giving away any possible tactical advantage in a battle. You're, you're now everything that you're crawling on your hands and knees up a hill with your enemy up above you, ready to do just about anything they would want to do to you because you are completely unable to defend yourself. Right. You can't even get a sword out because you're crawling up the hill. But that just, it it doesn't bother Jonathan at all. And then the verse says, and and once they got up there, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed them after him. So it's not even the trained soldier that kills this garrison It's the armor bearer. It's the young man who's carrying his stuff. It sort of reminds me of this idea, this this principle that we hold very dear in the vineyard about everybody gets to play. Can you think of a better example of everybody getting to play than letting the armor bearer be the one that slaughters this garrison? You know, to us, it means that you don't have to be trained clergy to be able to do the stuff of God. We can all pray for the sick. We can all prophesy. You know, we, we can all take advantage of the gifts that God has given us, <clears throat> even if we're not one of the, you know, the clergy. And then in verse 14 it says, And that first strike which Jonathan and his armor bearer made killed about 20 men within, uh, about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length in an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled, and the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. 
So here's the payoff to the story. Our victory begins the moment you stop being impressed with the size of the problem. The moment you decide to turn this over to God and you stop being so intimidated, impressed by how big this problem is, the moment that you let go of that, that's the moment that your victory begins. Bill said something else in a completely different message that sort of played right into this. And in this particular message, he was quoting from Isaiah 51.12. And he says, I, I, this is Isaiah, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies? In other words, what he's saying is, if you have God on your side, if you have the almighty living God who created the entire universe, who created you and everything else in it, who created even the person who is responsible for your problems, then how in the world can you be afraid of one man who's going to die anyway? It's all about perspective. And when we can get our perspective correct, in other words, to start to focus on who we are and who God believes we are, then the problems start to really, you know, just go away. And it even reminds me of something I said a long time ago when we started the Revelation series. You know, people are all, you know, on edge and tense about the election and what's going to happen and all this. And the thing is, who are we to be afraid of a man or woman when God is on our side? And if we'll focus on that, then you begin to get victory over the problem. And while, you know, you may care at some level, and it is important at some level, who wins the election, we know it's not the end of the world if your particular candidate doesn't win. God's still going to be in control the day after the election. Right? So, I want to drop down now and look at verse 21. And verse 21, and, uh, yeah, verse 21 says, Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone with them, up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Well, who are these guys? Well, essentially, they're mercenaries, right? They're going to fight for whoever's going to pay them the most money. And in this case, the Philistines must have outbid the Hebrews because they've decided to switch sides. And so they're there in the camp with the Philistines, even though they're of the same tribe, essentially, as the Israelites who are they're in battle with. But here's the second point that I want you to get out of this. And that's that observed courage draws people into their destiny. When you see 
what the courage of someone else is allowing them to do. It gives you a sense of courage yourself or maybe even a sense of peace because something that was troubling you now has become clear. And so you're able to do something that you maybe didn't think uh, that you could. I mean, I can't begin to tell you Oh, that was nasty. Yeah. <clears throat> Should have just choked. <laughs> I cannot begin to tell you what <clears throat> being in the environment at Voice of the Apostles did for my faith and the things that I saw and the things that I heard and the things that, that, that really boosted my faith beyond anything that I had, uh, had, you know, had thought before. And then finally, <clears throat> in verse 22, it says, Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. Now here we have a third group. These are the chickens. <laughs> These are the folks that rather than enlist in the army or be part of the army, they went off and, and hid in the hills, right? They, just, they don't want to have anything to do with this. It's like, well, not my battle, not today. But the third point is, if you notice upset up in the beginning of the verse, it says they heard that the Philistines were fleeing. I think they heard more than just that the Philistines were fleeing. I think they heard about what happened. Yeah. I think they heard what Jonathan and his armor bearer did. So I think they were fully aware of what had caused this to happen. And so when they heard about it, it increased their courage. And so the third point is that courage brings greatness out of those who hear the stories. That's why testimonies are so important. Because testimonies are what build our faith. When you hear that God has done this, and God has done that, and God has done this amazing thing, then you allow yourself to start to dream and to think, well, if God would do that there and would do that there, why wouldn't he do it here? And the answer is he will. He absolutely will. And I think the other reason <clears throat> is that oftentimes in testimonies, we hear our own stories in the stories of other people. We may find that we hear a testimony that so accurately sort of describes where we are that you're like, oh, wait a minute. Now I understand. Or, or that just that gives me faith. And I'll, and I'll give you an example. One of the things that... Um, 
Randy mentioned, Randy Clark was the, one of the primary speakers there. And he said at one point that he was only aware that John Wimber had actually had a, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. In other words, that he went, he fell down under the power of God on one occasion. And that John Arnott, who was pastor of, uh, at the time it was the Toronto Vineyard, it later became just the Toronto Airport Church, that he had never had any kind of physical manifestation from the Holy Spirit. And yet both of those men had amazing ministries where they could minister in the power of God and have those kinds of things happen in other people's lives. They had just never experienced it themselves. And I can't tell you what a relief that was for me. Because I can't, I mean, I've had that experience on a couple of occasions, but, you know, I remember reading uh, a book that was written by the man who's now the head of the vineyard in Canada. And he would talk about going to these pastor's meetings where, you know, they would be ready for, the speaker would say, okay, we're now we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. And so they would all stand there. And stand, he said he would stand there and stand there, and then pretty soon he would decide he wanted to see what was going on, because he was still standing there, and he's, you know, <laughs> looking around. And he said, everybody, you know, was laying on the floor except him. And he said at one point, this had happened often enough that he'd actually sort of convinced himself that he was the Antichrist. <laughs> Because he said, that's got to be the only reason these things are not happening to me. But gradually he came to understand, you know, that that was okay. You know, that his ministry wasn't necessarily suffering just because he didn't have this particular experience. Um, and I think, uh, if I remember something else that Randy said, it was that Oftentimes, our expectation of what God is going to do gets in the way of God actually being able to do something. Because we think, well, he's going to move in this way. And that the only way that I'm going to receive a touch from God is if I actually gone down under the power of God and I'm laying on the floor. And if that's what you think, then you're not going to, you don't have any kind of faith that God could touch you any other way. And so if that doesn't happen, then you automatically assume, well, nothing has happened. When in fact, you could have been touched mightily. But you, your own mental assent or unassent kind of blocked it from happening. Unassent? I don't think that's a word, but you know what I mean. See, what happens when I don't write things down? I'm now making words up. <laughs> they say it's the spirit of the law not the letter of the law it's the spirit of the word not the actual word itself so here's what I want to do Sally and I uh, on Thursday night it's traditional at these conferences that um, they do a time of impartation and if you're if that's an unfamiliar word to you, 
then uh, let me clarify it for you. Probably the best place to find it is in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 6, as Paul is writing to Timothy, and, or excuse me, chapter 1, verse 6. And he says this, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Okay? That when we say impartation, that's what we're talking about. It's the same thing that Paul did to Timothy, where he laid hands on him, he prayed for him, that God would come upon him and give him whatever gifts he wanted him to have. And so what Paul is urging Timothy to do in this instance is to not let those lay dormant. You know, that if you've been given that, it's for a reason. And so you need to actually get out and use those things. You know, they don't, when, we, when God gives us something, he doesn't ever take it back. It's yours. Now, whether you choose to use it or not, that's a different story. And so that's why Paul, in this case, is urging Timothy to fan it into flames. In other words, you need to get out and you need to use it. And so what I want to do this morning is, you know, I've always believed in the kingdom. Uh, the kingdom has its own economy, right? And we talk about how that is so different from um, the economy of our culture, where the only way to get more is to get more, right? You want to build wealth, you have to get more money. Well, that's what the kingdom says is completely the opposite of that. The kingdom says, if you want more wealth, then you have to give away what you have. If you want more of God, then you have to give away what you have. Well, listen, I want more of God. And so today, Sally and I want to give to you, want to at least pray for you to receive what it was that we received. <coughs> we were, uh, it was, <laughs> it was kind of a madhouse um, when they did this. He asked the Assemblies of God pastors specifically to come up first. And he uh, prayed for them, and he actually did some repenting because, you know, for so many years the church had sort of ostracized those who were in the assemblies of God and, you know, some even saying they weren't really part of the church and, you know, some really negative things. And so he took the time to um, repent on behalf of the church for the attitude that many in the church had towards that particular denomination. Well, so he was supposed to pray for them. Then he was going to ask people who were not denominationally affiliated to come up. And then finally, those who were. Well, that didn't last very long. It kind of broke down into this madhouse rush. Um, so we were, I'm a rule follower. So I'm waiting my turn, right? Bad move. <clears throat> but not really. It works out. So finally, we, you know, we're noticing that everybody else seems to be going to the front. So we're like, okay, time to break the rules. So we, we head on up and... It's really crowded. Are there still those waters back here? Yes. 
Um, and, you know, there's bodies all over the stage. There's bodies all over the auditorium. It sort of looks like a war zone, you know, in a really happy way. Because um, obviously God was touching a lot of people. And, uh, and so we just stand there and stand there and stand there for probably half an hour, you know, waiting. And finally they decide this is not going to happen. So um, they sent some of, the, um, some of Randy's students into our little section where we have all these pastors and, and spouses standing there uh, waiting to be prayed. And I don't know what the young man's name uh, who prayed for us was, but we both got zapped. <laughs> um, if he'd stayed there about another... I don't know, 10, 15 seconds. I've been on the floor for sure because I could feel it, you know, and I just got like blazing hot all of a sudden and so did she. <clears throat> and so we want to give that to anybody here who wants more of God. Now, it's not a requirement. You don't have to. And, and I'm not going to look askance at you if you choose not to come up. Because there were a lot of years where I wouldn't have come up. Where I would have sat in my seat and gone, that's just a bunch of hooey. <laughs> Those people are faking it. But fortunately, God helped me to see things differently. And I was able to see and to understand that this was real. This is real. So, let's do this. I'd like to invite Amy, and you guys want to come back up?